1: I'm your co-host from bleacherreport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining us as always from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Well, Ben, it's Saturday. It's not quite noon yet. That's right. We're recording this, what I would like to call very special episode of the Co-Main Event podcast.
0: Who's to say you're wrong?
1: A couple of days early because last week I was the asshole who <laughs> jetted off to South Carolina. To, no one jets uh,
0: off to South to Carolina. To
1: vacation in the shadow of a nuclear power plant.
0: You, you slunk off to South Carolina.
1: Uh, and this week, you are the asshole who is jetting off. To, where are you going, Florida? Can we say this? Can we talk about this on the air? is this supposed to be a
0: secret? No, we can talk about this. Um, I don't think I'm quite such an asshole because I'm going for work. I'm going for work purposes to Florida uh, to spend a few days at American Top Team uh, and do some interviews and whatnot. Uh, I'm not like you know some other people I can mention we're just going to go lounging about on a lake in South Carolina, living like a landed southern gentleman.
1: So basically you're jealous that I'm keeping it Ric Flair style over <laughs> here while you are a little more Dusty Rhodes, yeah. the plumber's son, the working
0: man. Wiping the w- sweat you from my brow.
1: Where, where's, where's the American top team?
0: Coconut Creek, Florida, yeah, South Florida. Yeah, that
1: sounds like a tough assignment.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry for that. Hey, it's hot, man. It's hot and humid down
1: there. I I know exactly how it is, and you know you can blame it on work if you want to, but it just doesn't sound like a tough of an assignment to me.
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, I'll just send you a selfie of me uh, sipping my ties on the beach with Tiago Alves. How about that? If that happens,
1: I demand a photo of it immediately. Done. Uh, In any case, we're we're recording this a couple days early. I don't know when I'm going to put it up yet. Maybe drop it tomorrow or Monday as a surprise for the for the. Co-main event faithful.
0: Oh, by the time they hear this, you will have decided. So it's really not worth talking
1: about on the air. Good point. Good point. Uh, three rounds, as usual, this week You know, for our first co-main event podcast in, what, 10 days? Something like that? Something like that. Something crazy. In round number one... Are you still there, pussy? <laughs> and in round number two... Well, they done did it. Anderson, Da Silva, and Nicholas Donald Diaz is official. Now that the smoke is cleared, are we still as excited for this fight as when it was just a dream? I mean, still more excited than Nick Diaz is about it, though, right? Right. And in round number three, on Saturday night in Bangor, Maine, Ryan Bader and Ovin St. Prue brawl for
0: considerably less than it all. Super fight, basically. It's basically a super fight.
1: All that, plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? No, no Sir Nigel Longstock this week because he is also on vacation. God damn. Uh, so we're going to do, uh, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of Listener Mail.
0: Listener Mail. Ben, I'm not going to lie to you. There's a lot of bad news in this week's Listener Mail. Well, you know, I don't know if that's because just uh, an inordinate number of bad things happened or if that's because of the, our layoff. Uh, we got to get in here and shake off the ring rust and, and, and face the music with Listener Mail. Because uh, you're right, There's it's kind of one downer after another, but... Uh, you know, we'd be would be cowards if we did not confront it head on.
1: First piece of listener mail this week comes from Cesar Fernandez. He writes, Jonathan Coppenhaver, better known as to CME listeners as War Machine, gets finally kicked out of Bellator following some sort of quote-unquote altercation at his house. Let's say alleged altercation at this point. Sure. Um, and we all know what quote-unquote altercation means here. I don't even know what to say other than she, he should be banned out of Master Tweet Theater and probably out of society to forever discuss and thank you. So this just happened last night.
0: I really like how the first penalty that uh, Cesar Fernandez came up with was banning him from Master Tweet Theater. Oh, and then also, by the way, society right well we know which one is the stiffer penalty the
1: more meaningful the one that will set you back more
0: yeah no longer appearing in our made-up game that's right it's worth noting though that that's not up to us uh sir nigel uh, wields the ban hammer with master tweet theater uh, so we kind of have to wait until he gets back to hear his take on war machine you know your first thoughts when you heard this uh and How closely were they with uh, our old standby? Are you fucking kidding me? Because not that it's a surprise, I guess, that War Machine would do some shit like this because he seems to be constantly on the verge of doing some shit like this. But man, he must be aware of the image of him that's already out there. And when he goes and does some stuff like this, like, this has got to be the point where everybody's like, okay, you're not fucked up in a funny way anymore, man. Get out. Out of the pool, collect your things. Good day, sir. Right. Yeah. Allegedly. Um, allegedly. Good day, sir. <laughs> yeah. You
1: took the words right out of my mouth when you said that, that this was not a surprise. Because frankly, we've known for a long time the kind of uh, ugliness that War Machine is capable
0: of, and real men rape. That he, that's that's a War Machine original,
1: right? Uh. And, and but the, you were right, I think, in that this is the situation where I think he officially crossed the line. From, like, quasi-humorous personality, uh, in the sport to, uh, just like ugly human being area. And, you know, we've, we had this conversation in the past on the show, um, only half in jest about, uh, Christy Mack, the, uh, the significant other of war machine, um, the pornographic film actress and how we felt like from, you know, what we could glean about her from her social media postings that it seemed kind of like, uh, maybe she was the one who was slumming here, uh, to be, to be going out with, uh, with war machine because, uh, everything we could tell about her, it seemed like she was the brains of the operation you for sure
0: girl, you could do better.
1: And so it's sad, man, to have this happen, uh, uh, to to anyone frankly and and like have this this happen in this weird very public relationship that uh, we all whether we wanted to or not were privy to uh almost entirely privy to really when you think about it not <laughs> a lot of privacy going no. on in that in the war machine christy mack relationship so but-
0: what are you supposed to tell yourself if you were one of those sad sacks out there who bought an alpha male shit t-shirt or whatever it is that war machine sells uh and whether you bought it ironically or not now you got it sitting there now every time you look at it you got to think like wait a minute i bought this from the dude who regards alpha male shit as like domestic violence
1: well first of all you bought an i do alpha male shit i assume tank top uh <laughs> so you got problems of your own uh second of all you gave some of your money to war machine already you've already done that so like you have already had to have a come to jesus moment or hopefully you woke up the next morning, I assume hungover because you were obviously drunk when you made the purchase. Uh, and you looked in the mirror, but you probably didn't even remember it. You probably got an email confirmation. Oh no, not um, again from Haver at uh, prodigy.com. <laughs> and, uh, you looked in the mirror and you thought, Oh man, what have I done? Yeah. And of course, I assume you can't I need cancel to clean these orders. Up and get to
0: a meeting. War
1: machine has already spent the money on, on, <laughs> on drugs and protein shakes. But uh, see, and we're doing it fees. again. We're doing it, we're falling into the
0: thing where we're, you know, oh, it's just he's he's fucked up in a funny way. No, it's not funny anymore, man. You're hurting people, allegedly. Um also though, did you see his reaction on Twitter right after this this news kind of broke via TMZ that the police in Las Vegas were looking for him and hadn't found him yet? Was this the one where he said he couldn't believe it that it seemed like he was cursed? It seems like he's cursed. Like this bad stuff just finds its way across the universe and zaps him right in the teeth through no fault of his own, Chad. Now that's the problem. That's that's your big problem right there, the from which all the other problems uh, stem out from War Machine, your, your your inability to take responsibility for stuff allegedly that you did.
1: Yeah, uh, and you know, a couple months ago, I said I was done with Chael Sonnen after the uh, after the the second fail. I guess, well, I guess it would be the third total of his career failed drug test. Uh and that you know, his his crimes seem to pale in comparison here to War Machine. So, yeah uh, I guess I'm done with more War Machine, man. It's just like, I don't really see, especially since War Machine is not even going to be a contributing member of this uh, subculture that we're all involved in. Uh, especially I, I, now that he's been cut by Bellator. Like, I didn't even know he was still with Bellator. I thought he sent out a tweet when Scott Coker took over the promotion that was like, I just got a taste of the new Bellator leadership and they are no longer pro-War Machine or something like that, which, A, shocker! Uh, and second of all, like, I, I took that to mean that they had cut him, but I guess not. They still had him hanging around.
0: Are you sure Said that they're no longer pro war machine and that they're no longer about pro wrestling no this was from war machine war know, machine sent out this tweet but that said okay. that they were no longer
1: pro war machine or like they were no longer it was something like that i don't okay. remember the exact wording but well, uh, i
0: mean i guess maybe we ought to give uh bellator some due daps here for for jumping right on that one uh because the previous bellator ownership seemed to take a uh, a very different attitude toward domestic violence. Uh, when that would prop up every once in a while,
1: I saw on Twitter and I didn't know that this had been the case, but had Be- Bellator previously produced a promo involving war machine that included a phone conversation with him that when he was in jail, I saw someone post that they, that there had been a promo of that nature, which I was unaware of, but that seems,
0: uh, surprising to that me. Is surprising. I did not know that, but they, they did seem like they were, uh, at least in the pre Coker era of Bellator, uh, going to go ahead and embrace War Machine's checkered past and try to use that to their advantage.
1: Bravo, sirs.
0: Yeah, and now look. Now look. I just hope, you know what, I hope that uh, this is at least the moment where if, if nothing else comes out of this, and hopefully one of the things that comes out of this, if War Machine is in fact guilty of uh, beating up his girlfriend, is that he goes back to jail, uh, but also uh, maybe some, some soul-searching time for Christy Mack, who we've said for a long time could do better, uh, and uh, I I'm going to stand by that one. Well,
1: and I would hope that any self-respecting mixed martial arts promoter out there that can make money any other way would would not give War Machine any more fights after after this, you know, what is not his first transgression, is not even his first violent transgression outside the cage. Right. Uh, but the sad part is, you know, there's someone out there that will still trade on his his name. At what point do you just stop licensing a guy like that? Well, yeah, there's there's a that's a good question too. Although a lot of states out there where you could. You could go in and do that's, the damn thing right. without having to
0: face too much oversight. And who knows? This might be the point where War Machine has to come up before the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Uh, you know, They do some finger wagging and then ask him to be their ambassador on domestic violence issues or something.
1: Yeah, maybe they would say that that uh, after the internet research that they would that they had done, they they decided that War Machine seemed like he was truthful and a great guy. I don't know.
0: Okay. Please tell them not to go and try and do any uh, internet research that involves War Machine and Christy Mack. Please. The next... <laughs>
1: Yeah, good point. The next question uh, comes from Kevin T. Kevin. That That sounds like a
0: legit name. Yeah.
1: He writes, word on the street is that Donald Cerrone has a signed contract that the UFC can just fill in with whoever it wants the cowboy to fight next. That seems awesome. But so far, the UFC hasn't set him up with the next fight. Instead, booking Jorge Masvidal to fight Bobby Green. Kind of seems like they might be saving Cerrone for something special. No. Any truth to these Eddie Alvarez rumors? You know, in the interim... uh. Well, since the last time we recorded a podcast, I talked to some guys, uh, you know, casually uh, who swear up and down that this is what the UFC has been trying to do, that Bellator is going to cut Eddie Alvarez loose. He's going to come in and the co-main. I think it was supposed to be the co-main of uh, 178.
0: Kind of getting down to the wire here. Yeah,
1: it was supposed to be Eddie Alvarez versus Donald Cerrone. Uh, there's also a lot of like public talk, I guess, at this point about the fact that Bellator might release Eddie Alvarez to try to score some points. The new regime trying to look a little bit more fighter friendly. We all know Eddie Alvarez doesn't want to be over there anymore. Uh, so they might release him just to try to appear like they- they're taking the you know what fighters want a little more seriously. Although perhaps the real reason to release him would be he only has one fight left on his contract. We know that he's going to split after that anyway. So like, what good does it do Bellator to have Eddie Alvarez? Alvarez hanging around uh, to, to either book him in a title fight where he could win the title and then then walk away and show up on Nitro the next week and throw it in a trash can. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it, the the Eddie Alvarez situation seems to become more and more mysterious as time goes by, although you make a good point. Like, if that's going to get done, it needs to get done quick. Uh, and it, Cowboy Cerrone doesn't seem in it because he's just he's over at the Pueblo Lake uh, reservoir today, trying to find a ride. I saw on on Twitter, trying to see if anyone's about to put a boat in. Uh, he wants to get out there on the water and have a little fun. So. Where's his boat? I don't know. Maybe his boat's in the shop.
0: Uh-oh. Maybe Leonard Garcia has it. This concerns me. <laughs> uh, you know, I as far as the thing about Donald Cerrone just saying, "Hey, go ahead and fill in the opponent." I mean, that does seem like a really Cerrone esque thing to do. And also, like if you look at his his history with the UFC, it doesn't seem like that dude is turning down any fights like he is just kind of taking whoever you got even if sometimes it's not the best matchup for him but how awesome would a Donald Cerrone Eddie Alvarez fight be I mean if you throw that on the the co-main of of UFC 178 not only does that become you know pay-per-view of the year which it's already kind of kind of close to uh, for reasons I'm sure we'll get into later in the show uh, but like that's just an immediate needle mover of a fight to to take some language from Dana White.
1: Yeah, it's like when I first heard about it, it's one of those situations where, you know, as, as many dumb stuff, many dumb things that the UFC does that they deserve to be criticized for. I feel like in the matchmaking department, you know, where, where, uh, Joe Silva and Sean Shelby are kind of lords of that domain they make almost all of the right decisions and like stuff that you find out like this, where it kind of comes out of the blue and you hear somebody talking about how it's just a rumor and you just end up being like, Oh, you goddamn geniuses. Cause that's like, (laughs) that's a perfect fight. Not only from like a fan standpoint, because Eddie Alvarez and, and, and Donald Cerrone are going to go out there and, and probably have a cracker Jack, but like also like a perfect fight for both guys, you know, assuming that Eddie Alvarez freed himself up from Bellator. And came over to join the UFC, uh, fighting Donald Cerrone seems like kind of the, the perfect litmus test, because if you beat Donald Cerrone, then you are a title contender, and if you lose to Donald Cerrone, then you were overhyped from the, from the get-go, and if you're Donald Cerrone, if you beat Eddie Alvarez, well you might as well be number one contender at that point.
0: Yeah, except that if you're Donald Cerrone, no way you'll sit around long enough to just wait for your title shot uh, if it comes down to that while the other dudes are that's figuring true. out their own. That's true. Because that contract be you
1: so. signed, that that's blank on the other side. Right now Joe Silva has that at the ditto machine, the facsimile machine that, that you know that they used to have in the office at school in like the 80s, you just did you crank it and it spits out purple copies
0: man you're he's, so he's just diddy
1: you're just, ditto machine in that you're, thing you're just right telling now. everybody
0: how old you are
1: <laughs> well that's the funniest way to duplicate a, a printed document though right like i could say he was putting it in the copy machine but like
0: yeah that's not funny no that's not funny the at ditto all. machine is funny there you go that's just comedy
1: the next question this week comes to us from Ray Ronaldo. He writes, so uh it seems like Josh Grisby is not only a failed UFC prospect, but also a failed human being. You're telling me that this motherfucker not only beats his wife and threatens her with MMA related death via text, but also has a pit bull named Buddy who is trained to attack people and who he uses to attack the poor woman. My God, man, I'm not sure I actually want you guys to discuss this, but dis
0: cuss. I don't know if we want to discuss it either. So
1: like I said, a lot of bad news in uh yep. in the uh listener mail this week which is not our fault, like just a lot of bad stuff going on out there. And this we're not even going to touch on the uh, K one kickboxer who had the video out of him uh, abusing a puppy allegedly, although I didn't watch it because if someone sends out a video that says here's a video of a man abusing a puppy, nope, that's one I don't watch. Not gonna do it. Uh, but that you know what? That's kickboxing's mess. Let's let them handle yeah. that. We got enough problems over here on our side of the dusky back alley where we all reside. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Did you read the 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 the? the I saw it in Cage Potato they did like a. a like a chronological breakdown of the Josh Grisby incident, uh, which is ugly and almost like unimaginably ugly, yeah. I would say. And just a, this was, here's what, what the first thing that I thought, because I remember when Josh Grisby was uh, a big time prospect and a guy that you thought, you know, was going to come along and be a winner too from a title shot before it all kind of fell apart for him. And uh, my first reaction was that this is just another example of how we don't know any of these people. Because I remember when Josh Grisby was a fast-rising future superstar, uh, there was a lot of really glowing reports about him floating around. And um, I always feel weird about that kind of stuff, especially when a guy falls from grace later because it's like, ah, remember that dude that you, like, gave a stroke job to on your website? Like, turns out he's one of the worst people around.
0: Yeah, okay, just to play devil's advocate there for a minute, is it not possible that he could have been an awesome dude at the time they wrote this quote-unquote stroke job for the website uh, and then only became or only you know had the manifestations of becoming a, a terrible person later on? I mean, that can happen, right?
1: Yeah, I, I suppose that's true. But I'm just saying, like, as a sports writer, as a guy who works in the industry uh, and myself have have written feature stories about guys where later I found out other stuff about them where I was like, oh, well, I could have been a little bit more critical. Maybe, you know, I feel like it, it just puts us in a weird situation where uh, especially to provide a, a kind of coverage that a certain segment of readers wants. uh you got to be careful man it's it's hard to do it's hard to like uh I don't know it's hard to to divine what's really going on here to steal a, a really it from yeah. from Brandon Vera but it's just another uh reminder for me that like any you know we
0: don't know these people So what you take from this uh is that Josh Grisby's horrible horrifying actions uh prove that you should be suspicious of of everyone you encounter as a potential wife beating dog-sicker honor of people uh, who's hanging out with his kid with a bunch of guns in a box. Yes.
1: Okay. That's how I feel about you, and I know you pretty well.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you. but knowing me, you know half that stuff is true, at least the stuff with a bunch of guns in a box. Yeah. No, Um, I
1: tripped over a box of guns on my way
0: in here today. And I mean, if I could train my dog that well, who knows what I'd get up to. I'm just trying to get him to poop in designated areas. Uh, But, you know, stuff like this, like you say, the thing to me when I read stuff about, like, and it doesn't have to anything, it doesn't matter if it has anything to do with MMA or anything, but you just hear about uh, people doing stuff like that. And it is so difficult to imagine, like, how a human being could do that to anybody else. Uh, and it's always a thing, too, where it feels weird because you know how the MMA community is going to react, like, first with the appropriate horror, and then to get kind of worried about how this is going to look on us. Right. Uh, that people are going to, like, you know, look through that and see, oh, he came from this world. That world must be bad if it had a person like that in it. Uh, When, like you said, for one thing, we don't know any of these people. And sure, you see a bunch of uh, NFL players who are not exactly angels either. So there's a lot of that. I also think, though, fighting is one of those things where uh, because there's such a a low barrier of entry to get into that sport, uh, both as a fighter or a trainer or as a manager or anything, uh, it is maybe more likely that we see incidences like that happen where we realize, oh, wait a minute. We didn't really uh, ever vet these people uh, because if you can just show up at the gym and fight, or show up at the gym and put a towel over your shoulder and convince somebody that you're their coach, or tell them, uh, you know, that you went to a couple law classes and therefore you should be their manager, then boom, you are that thing. Whatever you get to call yourself, you become it. Uh, so stuff like this, I think maybe it does happen more often in MMA. Uh, it is just, though. Hopefully, we don't lose sight of just what a horrible thing it is to have happened to his family.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's the, the, the real tragedy here. And, and we do a lot of times on this show talk about mainstream acceptance and how we're not sure that the casual fan even exists. And like, we do, do we care or not what the mainstream sports, uh, media and, and viewer thinks about us? But in these kind of situations, and, and you just spoke to this, but I do feel like that's valid though. In these kind of situations, the, the war machines slash Josh Grispies of the world, uh, because there are a lot of people out there still, like the sports editor that I used to work for, the local paper here, that when I told him I was quitting to go be a full-time writer for ESPN to to, to cover MMA, he looked at me and said, that's a job? <laughs> like, there are people out there, uh, and a lot of people, frankly, that still have a very, very low opinion of this sport and and this this subculture. And, you know, for people like us that are kind of constantly uh, working against that, like and, and you know, people who m- don't want to feel embarrassed to talk about what they do for a living and what their tastes are, what they like. Frankly, people will send us emails all the time to the podcast, kind of speaking to that, that they don't want to tell the people that they work with that they're into MMA and stuff like that. Like yeah, when it's like he-
0: telling people you're into bondage or something. You got to know what their reaction. No one well enough to know what their reaction might be.
1: I'm not going to freak out about an onstage brawl. Like some people did this past week, and then we're going to talk about this more in round one, so I don't want to get into it too much. I'm not going to freak out about how that reflects poorly on us, but the incidents like this where Josh Grisby and War Machine both get charged with with, uh, domestic violence and and partner assault in, in one week, like this does reflect poorly on us, and this does make all of those critics and all of those newspaper columnists that call this sport barbaric, and we always come out and talk about what dumb people they are, the people who wrote that, like this This makes them look right.
0: Well, this stuff like that. It doesn't just this.
1: This makes us look like we are who those people thought we were. And these people, War Machine and Josh Grisby are associated with us. And that, to me,
0: sucks. Yeah. I mean, that does suck. But, I mean, incidents like this, I could just as easily say reflect poorly on men. Yeah, they do. And and
1: clearly a lot of this stuff like happens in other sports cultures, too. Like, you know, the NFL and and, uh, NBA and and I'm sure the NFL or I mean, NHL, if anybody still writes about that, uh, has these these kind of incidents all all the time. But like those are not emerging like, uh, you know, still somewhat controversial sports that are fighting for for acceptance and, uh, you know, recognition. Fair enough. Do we have any more? I think we, we have got, one more. Is there one more? All right. Let me see what it is. Uh, this one comes from Clark Hempel, the last listener mail of the week. The Scott Coker era is off to a roaring start over in Bellator as this week the company announced a light heavyweight title fight between champion Emmanuel Newton and wait. This says Joey Beltran here, but that can't be right. You know what? I'm going to check that out and get back to you guys later in the show. <laughs> Until then, maybe you can think of something relevant to talk about.
0: <laughs> well played, Clark Hempel. Uh,
1: so, yeah, I remember a few months ago when the, the pay-per-view had just gone down and we were already talking about a rematch between Quentin Rampage Jackson and uh, Muhammad Lawal. And I got on this show and said, you know what Emmanuel Newton should do is he should go on the MMA Hour and talk a bunch of shit about his so-called friend Rampage Jackson and talk about how he's not friends with the Rampage, was just trained with him, and demand a fight with Quentin Jackson. Well, that didn't happen, as everyone knows, and as you pointed out when I said it at the time, that's not the kind of dude that Emmanuel Newton is. But, if you're not going to do that, Manny, here's what happens. well, Title y- fight against Joey Beltran, which A, does in fact look like maybe kind of a showcase fight for Manny Newton, but B, still would be better to be fighting Rampage Jackson.
0: Uh, maybe, I mean, or maybe he figures... Uh... As if, if he feels the same way that his coach Antonio McKee does who said that uh, uh your boy Manny Newton isn't really making the money he needs to make right now to fight a guy like Rampage hey maybe you, you tick off another fight on that contract you go out there you, you get to uh show out all over Joey Beltran's face uh get a what should be a pretty easy win uh although blah blah, blah anything can happen uh Get a title defense under there and uh, then wait and see when they give you something real to do. I mean, this just feels like a, a placeholder kind of fight. You want to keep the champ busy. You don't really know what else to do with him in the meantime, uh, you know, because he and Rampage are teammates or whatever. Uh, Mo wall needs to get a win over somebody. Plus, they already fought twice. Uh, Tito Ortiz just beat a damn middleweight. You know, what are you supposed to do there? I don't know. Kill some time here. Throw uh, Joey Beltran in there. I mean, for, for Emmanuel Newton... It probably doesn't seem too bad. It just seems for Bellator like, man, you just went 180 from that whole title shots are earned, not given thing, didn't you? Well, and it also does kind of make the, as as
1: Clark Hempel points out here, does kind of make the Scott Coker era seems like it's getting off to a bit of a slow start. I didn't even know. Here's, here's, here's how out of the loop I've been on this whole Bellator thing. I saw that Joey Beltran was supposed to fight Emmanuel Newton for the title, and I was like, well, he's coming off that loss to Quentin Jackson. How are they even doing that? I didn't even know. Joey Beltran came back and got a win over Vladimir Matyushenko yeah. back in April. Choked forty three year old Vladimir Matyushenko. To give him to position himself, put himself in the pole position here as the number one contender. Uh but this does seem like the kind of uh fight that makes you makes you think that uh that Scott Coker probably took this job and then then figured out that maybe he had a lot of work to do on the roster because No need to make this fight unless you absolutely had to, right?
0: Well, I mean, I don't. Let's let's try to resist the urge to just brand every new little thing that happens over as Bellator as indicative of what the Scott Coker era is going to be like. That's like one of those things where when they freak out trying to overanalyze a president's like first 100 days in office. I'm not saying this is going to be there for a while of
1: the Scott Coker era. I'm just saying you come into this job and you're like, oh boy. Like, we got some stuff we need to do here. And so this seems to me like a time-killing, like, let's make this happen while we try to l- l- try to make better things happen down the road sort yes, move. Yes,
0: I think that's exactly what it is, uh, especially in that division. Uh, you do need some time to figure out what you're going to do.
1: I'm looking at Joey Beltran's Wikipedia page here. Were you aware that at one time he was the... 5150 combat league slash extreme fighting league heavyweight champion
0: of course i was of course i knew that
1: well i know you've got that 5150 combat league t-shirt that you like to wear all over the place
0: yeah mainly uh what if i'm out washing the car or something just let my neighbors know what's up (laughs) that's right and that that does send a message
1: uh well that's going to do it for listener mail this week if you've got a question comment or a concern that you want to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks you know how to do it. You can go to our website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says Email the Podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. Uh comes out every Friday, with the exception of last Friday, uh, that will catch you up on all the news and notes in MMA that we miss from Monday to Monday when we're out living our lives and partying at the lake and drinking Mai Tais on the beach with Tiago Alves. As of right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, uh... Light heavyweight champion John Jones and upcoming challenger Daniel Cormier have been making quite a time of it during their recent press tour. Maybe we'll start with the most recent thing and then work backwards. Uh, what was it yesterday? This, this, uh, quote unquote leaked video of the quote unquote hot mics over at uh, ESPN involving a conversation that Cormier and, uh, and, uh, Dan Henderson had or, uh, Cormier and John Jones had, uh, after their interview on ESPN over this oh, earlier this week, where uh, they they got into each other a little bit there, um, with the swears and the death threats, uh, you know, a lot has been said about that already. I'm going to say my favorite part of that exchange, which I have not heard anyone comment on yet, is that if you watch the video of it, they're both just kind of sitting there fiddling with their earpieces or whatever, and you can kind of see the expression on John Jones's face. When he decides that he's gonna say that, that he decides that he's gonna say, are you still there, pussy? Yeah, he really enjoys it. To Daniel Cormier. And it takes him a second. You can see it, it it dawns on him. You can see it come across his face. He gets this little smirk and then he thinks about it for a second and then he says it. That's my favorite part. What's your favorite (laughs) part of this exchange?
0: Oh, well, my favorite part has got to be when they go all seventh grade, like, I wish I was there so I could spit on you. I would literally kill you if you did that. Do you think I'm just going to sit there and let you kill me? Like it just becomes like this ar- the weird argument about like the actual like physical reality of who could kill whom and who would do what about that. Like it's such it's such a ridiculous thing for two dudes who are going to fight in a cage for money to sit there and argue about. It's like what you would do if the dude spat on you uh And then what that other dude would do about what you plan to do. Why are you even arguing about this? Why are we talking about this? It, it, to me, when I first heard that there was like this hot mic video of the two of them talking, my first thought was, oh, no, is this going to be where we find out that, uh, you know, they were they were faking some stuff to drum up interest like that we're going to find out that they're oddly congenial with each other when they think the cameras are off, Um, because that would be a real bummer after all this. Uh, And instead, to find out it goes all the way in the other direction, that even when they think nobody's watching, uh, they're still fucking with each other, and John Jones is being exactly the kind of person that his detractors have accused him of being in real life. Uh, Man, it just seems like so many narratives just collided all at once there. Also, though, it made me wonder okay the UFC is super into promoting this brawl video and getting John Jones to go on Jimmy Kimmel and talk about it and it's on SportsCenter and they 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 put the video up on their own website and then when this thing comes out uh and it seemed like maybe the UFC was the one who wanted it pulled down how seriously do you take that oh not seriously at all like the
1: UFC is the UFC has been double dealing this thing from the beginning right like they're the they're uh uh embarrassed by it in public. Like basically they're doing all the right things. They're releasing these PR statements about how the, the, the brawl was embarrassing and all this stuff. And then they're, they put the video on the front page of their website. Right? So it's like, you can't be that embarrassed about it. Or at least, you know, you recognize the, uh, the monetary, then the, the monetization possibilities, I guess you would say of having your two best light heavyweights brawl in a very public location. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can talk all you want about how there's going to be repercussions uh, about, you know, as it relates to the student student conduct code. That's, That's right. right. Uh, but uh, as I think Daniel Cormier said, you know, they can they can be embarrassed about the brawl. I don't think they're going to be embarrassed about the buy rate. Yeah. Or or whatever he said. Let's talk briefly, though, about a you brought up the thing about how John Jones's detractors have been calling him fake for a long time. I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about the conspiracy theories, which abound, you know, the conspiracy theories are thick in all of this. Uh, Let's talk first about John Jones, though. Uh, Does this reveal anything about John Jones that we didn't already know? Because I feel like. This is the guy we've known John Jones is for a long time. And for him to, to, uh, apropos of apparently nothing, just say, are you still there, pussy, to Daniel Cormier? <laughs> uh, like, god damn it. That does kind of seem like that's gotta be some kind of mental warfare, right? Like you, there's no other reason to say that other than like you're trying to
0: get in this guy's head. Yeah. I think that, uh, what this, it not only confirms what people have been accusing John Jones of being is like, you know, one person when the cameras are on and a completely different person uh, when they're off. I think it takes it even a little further than a lot of people were willing to, to admit, like, or a lot of people were willing to, to accuse him of because something like that, where it's just like, it seems like so childish in a way, but also so like, well, immediately when I think the cameras are off, I switch to this other thing. I don't even wait until like later that day. I don't. I don't. I don't wait till tomorrow to go back to being whoever I really am. I'm like, okay, as soon as they say cut, then boom, I'm, I'm lapsing right back into the you're a pussy and I'm gonna kill you kind of thing. I mean, I think that that it, like, if anything, it just shows like, oh wow, not only is he that guy who who a lot of people have been saying he is, he's more that guy than you thought.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I'm not going to kill him for it. Like we've been saying for a long time that he needs to embrace that part of his personality and not necessarily I don't want him to go, quote unquote, full heel or whatever people always say about it. And, And frankly, at this point, I'm kind of tiring of of us utilizing all of this pro wrestling talk in the in the MMA community. Like it doesn't seem like exactly the same thing to me, but but for a long time. We've been arguing, you know what, he just needs to embrace that this this is part of his personality and doesn't, you know, uh, shouldn't have the thing where he talks to Ariel Helwani and you can see the gear is spinning in John Jones's mind where he's like, how am I going to spin this in a positive direction? Like, yep. how am I going to take this question and, like, do the professional sports athlete thing and answer it in the most vanilla way possible that is not going to make any waves for me? I've been saying for a long time, he just needs to be himself. And frankly, if this is... Himself, like I will take that over the other John Jones, yeah. No,
0: and, and you know what? I think that, and I wrote a column about it uh this past week that I think that uh, a lot of the stuff that's happened around this Daniel Cormier thing, and this is before this video came out, uh, but it seems like he is knowingly doing that a little more. Like if you saw that sports center appearance right after the brawl where he and Daniel Cormier went on there, uh, and he just went full Eddie Haskell on it. Like, you know, he just, the tenor of his voice changed, uh, what one of my friends used to refer to as girlfriend voice, uh, that like your, you know, your, your roommate would, you'd know he was on the phone with his girlfriend because his voice got like way softer and way quieter suddenly, uh, and just a completely different tone that you had never heard from him. Uh, And, you know, he was totally doing that and doing it in a way that it didn't seem like he could possibly think that he was really fooling anybody. Like, it seemed like he was playing that part of it up. And when the ESPN anchor uh, pointed out to him, like, you know, hey, you're being really polite to him now, but let me read you these tweets that you sent out right after the brawl where you're basically like, hey, DC, I just beat your ass, put some ice on your face, where's your takedown defense, you feel weak. All this stuff, he he reads all this stuff, and John Jones' reaction in that, you know, librarian voice is... Well, those are facts. I, I mean, I did expect his takedown defense to be a little better, um, so I was just trying to be factually accurate with what happened there. Uh, and it kept like when he would ex- do his explanation of it, kept beginning it with what had happened was. <laughs> I mean, like you can't tell me that he doesn't know what he's doing there. And I think that uh, stuff like that, and then stuff like you know him trying to to screw with Cormier when he thinks he's off camera, that that seems like. I don't know how conscious it is. I I think that it's got to be at least somewhat conscious that he realizes, okay, look, trying to tell these people, I'm this guy, you should see me this way, obviously didn't work. Um. So instead, hey, if they, they want you to be this this fake ass dude who goes out there and beats people up and then asks, like, acts like, oh, hello, officer. I was just uh, there were some ruffians about, you know, like if that's what they want, fine. Go ahead and be that guy all the way until it just infuriates them. And then they'll buy the pay-per-views hoping to see you get your ass kicked. I mean, I think that that's like the smartest strategy you could possibly adopt if you're John Jones.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And, you know, being the other way didn't work for him. So he doesn't gone. really have any other
1: any any other options, really, at this point. Let's talk. Uh, about whether or not any of this was staged. Um, we know Daniel Cormier is not afraid to push a motherfucker at a weigh in since he's done it before. Pushed Patrick Cummins, I believe, at their weigh in. And, uh, after pushing John Jones, and they kind of got into this fracas where, uh, Dave Shawler gets thrown through the barbershop window. Poor Dave Schaller. Uh, and, uh, they, they get into to a huge brawl where somebody throws a shoe. Uh, I believe it was Cormier. Yeah. Throws it, throws a shoe. Uh, but, uh, um, <laughs> Daniel Cormier seems to go all grown man wrestler guy on it in the in the post fight, if you want to call it a fight, where he's like, I'm not going to let another grown man get close to me and put his forehead on my forehead. I will shove him every single time. That's kind
0: of something that happens uh, in these photo ops forehead to forehead stuff sometimes. So, OK, but this, it's like this, you know, I think it really feels like it could be a very organic escalation of stuff there where you got. Two dudes who just think that uh, they got to be the alpha male all the time, not in the war machine sense, hopefully. Um, but like can't take a step backwards, can't show any weakness. I, the other guy's got to be the one to back down all the time. So John Jones is going to say, "Well, he's he's going to come across the stage at me uh, looking all aggressive." So I got to go in there and put my head on his head to let him know I'm not backing down. And Cormier is going to think, "Well, I'm not going to let another man put his forehead on my forehead." So he he shoves him, which I love in John Jones' retelling of events. It goes from a shove to like a throat grab to at one point a karate chop to the neck uh, is how he described it when he was on jimmy kimmel uh so you know i love how that's just changing um and then the part where i was wondering how much premeditation goes into that because i think if they'd stopped there that would have been pretty normal stuff uh and you know just pretty common fare for trying to drum up interest guy puts his forehead in other guy shoves him but then there's a moment where john jones kind of after he gets shoved and, and takes a step back where he drops the, the light heavyweight title and then comes stepping forward, that's the moment where I was wondering, is here John Jones thinking, well, I'm getting points on the pay-per-view, so fuck it, and takes a swing at the guy, seemingly from the other side of the stage, which really, uh, especially when a bunch of normals are standing around, uh, drives home some points about John Jones's reach. Uh, but I think that's kind of the moment where I started to wonder, Maybe John Jones did a quick little little math problem in his head and figured out like if I throw a left hand that doesn't really connect here I might make myself a uh, half a million more dollars easily just in that one gesture
1: yeah and if he is thinking that it'd be hard to blame him frankly uh I a lot and, of things can go wrong though when you start doing stuff like that yeah
0: especially yeah. when you
1: got a cut on your face no yeah you're right you're right uh and I don't believe that this was premeditated but I do feel like Daniel Cormier uh Knew that he was going to shove John Jones if John Jones touched him or like got close to him like that. The weird part is that like John Jones doesn't usually do that very much. Like in that, you know, he usually like has a very low key stare down, he usually looks the other way or, or, you know, does something like that. And, and all of this and the, uh, the sports center jawing after, before, after the, the interview, all of it is indicative to me of John Jones knowing that he is in a fight now. All of this to me. Seems like John Jones knows that Daniel Cormier is serious business. And I think you're right to say that he knows that, that this is going to sell well and that he wants to make himself some extra money. I also think he's a little bit more on edge about this fight. I think he knows that Daniel Cormier is going to be the, has the potential to be the toughest guy he's fought. And, uh, that is, uh, goading him in a way that we don't normally see him act at these, uh, these public press conferences
0: and in, in, like interview settings that could be you know and it just seems like this is the fight that uh, has the the huge amount of heat behind it and this is the one though that he wanted right like this is the one that he was supposedly asking for instead of the uh the rematch with alexander Gustafsson. Uh, i mean i, I think that uh, john jones has always been a little bit aware of like which are the fights that are going to make me more money pay-per-view wise which are the ones people want to see he seemed really aware of that with uh like when The possibility of fighting Lyoto Machida again uh, came around. That he didn't feel like the pay per view had done super well that time. Uh, I wonder, really, like if you're the UFC, where like they're really in a position to benefit here, pay per view sales wise. I just wonder what the reaction was. For one thing, I think we can agree that if Dana White is standing there instead of Dave Scholler, that doesn't happen. Like not that John Jones couldn't uh, just as easily throw Dana White uh, aside. I mean, it might be a little tougher uh to, just just from sheer poundage uh to move Dana White than it was to move Dave Scholler. but you just there's no way you're going to see that happen exactly the same way if if the boss man is standing there in between them. But if you're, if you're Dana White and you hear about this stuff, I mean, say, let's. you're in Bora Bora, right? You've gone to Bora Bora or wherever he is. Wherever his, he is. For his vacation. Some private island somewhere. Uh, you hear about, okay, there was a big brawl at the press conference. Uh, the, the video's all over the place. The shit was crazy. I mean, I guess first you ask, like, is anybody hurt? Like, did, did either of the fighters get hurt? Uh, did they hurt anybody else accidentally? Because that definitely could have happened, uh, pretty easily uh did they did they do anything that we're going to get sued over uh and when you hear all of that is kind of good news nobody's hurt nobody seems like they're getting sued seems like we we might have got out of that one relatively unscathed you got to be jumping up and down going yippee yippee
1: yeah i bet it's a mixture of both i mean i think because i think that Dana White and Lorenzo Fertitta are both Uh, aware of, you know, public perception of the, of the company and the sport. And that's the kind of stuff that they worry about a little bit, even if they would never admit it in public. So, you know, I I do feel like when Dana White hears about that, on the first day of his vacation that his initial reaction is going to be like, oh, great. You know, like I believe his his initial tweet that he sent out where he was like, oh, my first day of vacation and this happens wonderful or whatever he said. Like, I think that that's legit. That's how he
0: feels. But then like some steam on a motorcycle at 180 (laughs) miles an hour. Right. And
1: then then I feel like you're probably right that after it kind of sinks in. After they've thought about it for a minute, made sure that that uh, no one got hurt, that the blowback isn't going to be too severe, and that in fact the the, the media is going to be totally into it in its own way, uh, that's when I feel like you're probably like, okay, well, this is probably a, a good thing for our for our pay per view buys. Which at this point, I mean, you got to think this is going to be. This could break a million pay-per-view buys or at least be up there. This, like, it goes without saying this, this stands to be the top selling pay-per-view of the year and will probably be, uh, you know, on the list of top selling pay-per-views of all time.
0: Well, I just wonder how it's going to, how how this, this controversy is going to keep. Uh, because you got yeah. a little bit of time until the Are they the fight. peaking too early? Yeah. Uh, it's one thing, you know, people hear about this, oh, man, there's this crazy huge title fight that's going on in the UFC, the dudes just brawled at the press conference, uh, it, it was mayhem, uh, and then, you know, they're caught on basically what they think is, like, off air, uh, talking all kinds of crazy shit to each other. I think that that kind of, like, people hear about that and the short attention spans that we have, people are like, okay, great, so what is the fight, is it this weekend? Or yeah, next weekend? It does. Wait, say, it, wait, it's not until fucking September? Oh, fuck, man. By then, football will have started. I'll have moved on with my life. Uh, completely different stuff will, will be going on. I mean, I guess you gotta think that, uh, the UFC is gonna try pretty hard to, to, Get the, the hype machine going and remind everybody of this stuff, and maybe even generate some new stuff.
1: Yeah, it is way too early for this kind of stuff to be to be happening. If if this is the the high watermark, uh, and you know, I think if nothing else is going to give the UFC a good chance to figure out which Lincoln Park song they want to set the brawl to for the commercial that we will watch five or six hundred times between now and and UFC one seventy eight finally going that's, down. That's
0: a low ball estimate, five or six hundred times.
1: Uh, we, we went on for too long on this round, but frankly, it deserved it. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll do Are You Fucking Kidding Me at the end of round number two. Uh, and as for right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with that. Round number two starts right now.
0: Chad, remember when Nick Diaz was all like, I don't know, I might go to jail for income tax evasion, or I think I might like to fight Anderson Silva next. And we were all like, well, we'll write you letters in jail. <laughs> Turns out maybe Nick Diaz actually knows what the fuck he's talking about because lo and behold, look who has himself a fight with Anderson Silva, the middleweight goat, coming up here in uh, early 2015. I mean, A, does this prove that uh, Nick Diaz is the kind of guy who, it doesn't even matter what his wins or losses there are, he's just such a a cult figure in the sport at this time that he can pretty much call his own shots? And B, does it maybe lend some credence to the uh, strategy of sitting out and waiting for the right fight and the right deal to come along, at least if you happen to be the right fighter? Well, first of all, middle, middle name correction from the
1: top of the show. I called Nick Diaz, Nicholas Donald Diaz, Nicholas Robert. We Diaz. all know that it's Nicholas Robert Diaz. Right. So just a, uh, a brain cramp on my part, definitely got him confused with his brother, Nathan Donald Diaz. That so can happen. my apologies for that. Uh, I'm going to answer your question by saying yes and no. First of all, like, it was crazy talk when Nick Diaz said that he wanted to fight Anderson Silva, and he couldn't possibly have foretold, at least, I, you know, unless he has mystical powers that we don't know about. He might. Which is possible. Uh, he couldn't have possibly have foretold this turn of events where both these guys are coming off losses and Anderson Silva is coming off this uh, horrifying injury uh, at the hands of Chris Weidman in this long uh, rehab and all of these question marks that are going to surround him at 40 years old, uh, almost 40 years old by the time that they fight. So like it's a situation that while totally unpredictable, definitely worked out as like the perfect storm of weirdness for Nick Diaz to be able to land this fight. Uh, and I, you know, to say that, that his holdout helped, I mean, I, it helped in the sense that he gave all of this weirdness time to happen while he was out uh, competing in triathlons and throwing his knives in the, in the front room of his house. Uh, but you're right to say this only works for certain guys. And I think that we see at least so far, it totally not working for Nate Diaz up to this point, and And uh, that, that, you know Nick Diaz the right guy in the in the right place surrounded by the right totally insane circumstances this did totally work out for him this definitely he definitely landed the most lucrative fight that he could make a fight that's gonna make him a lot of money a fight that's gonna make the promotion a lot of money a fight that's gonna make Anderson Silva a lot of money and give them both the opportunity to uh, re-enter the sport uh, in, in a way that kind of behooves their weird celebrity so yeah it's the perfect opportunity for for him
0: yeah and, and you're right i mean it does seem like uh nate diaz's holdout definitely not going quite as well uh i wonder though how are you supposed to know that if you're the fighter if you're sitting around here thinking about how you're unhappy with this funny money they got you fighting for man fuck it i'll just sit out for a minute uh and uh and, and wait until i get a better deal i mean how are you supposed to know if you are enough of a needle mover in order for that to work
1: well, I don't think it works for anyone really, except for the. <laughs> Work for Nick Diaz. Well, yeah, it's except for like the. There's like how many guys that could that could pull that off in this sport? A half dozen, five, six. Like we we're still existing in a mixed martial arts world where the balance of power is almost entirely with uh, management. And, so you're
0: saying that you think that if CB Dalloway were like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit out and wait until you guys come begging me. Come begging for Clarence Byron to bring his blue-blooded action back into the octagon.
1: Yeah, I don't think that would work for him. I think he would just have to make do with swimming in that swimming pool full of money he has at uh, on the palatial grounds of the Dalloway Estate. The
0: Dalloway Manor. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, well, here's what another thing that I wanted to talk about about Nick Diaz, Anderson Silva. Uh, clearly the announcement is met with sort of like giddy punch drunk joy on the part of the entire MMA community. Like a day or two later, we get the Nick Diaz conference call where in a way we're reminded a how awesome it is to have Nick Diaz on a conference call, but B kind of come crashing back to earth in terms of reality where remind, where we're reminded, we're really excited about this fight. Nick Diaz, not so much, at least not to hear him tell it like, if you can read between the lines a little bit and you don't have to read too deep into the things that he says, uh, this, he's here for the money. He's here to get the big fights and the big money and fight the guys with the legacies. So while we're all running around out of our minds with excitement about this super fight and how awesome it's going to be, this is just business for
0: NR Diaz. I don't think that's anything new or different, though. I mean, he's always kind of been like this. He's always had this relationship with the sport where, you know, he acts like he hates it, uh, even though he keeps coming back to it. Uh, You know, he always acts like and, and at the times when he sounds to me the most reasonable are the times when he is saying to people like, well shit, would you want to get in there and fight Anderson or Anderson Silva? Would I agree. you I completely would agree. Would you want to get punched in the face by these hitters for a living? Like, no, of course you wouldn't. So you're going to make sure you make as much money as you possibly can while you're doing it so that you don't have to do it very long and so that, you know, the, it's the rewards are are worth all the risks and the punishment. I mean, that that sounds totally logical to me. Like I I'm that's the, the the only time when I feel like I really understand where Nick Diaz is coming from, I think. So I don't think that that's really anything new at all from him. That seems pretty consistent with everything we've heard. I just wonder, like, how much he's aware, A, that that is our perception of him, that he is this guy who is good at fighting but hates fighting. And, like, I wonder if he is doing anything at all at this point to kind of play up what we expect of, the, you know, the madman Nick Diaz. Um But I also wonder... How much he's actually thought about some of those contrasts that like, hey, here's the thing that you're really good at and you can make a bunch of money at. Uh, and also the thing that you kind of claim to hate, like how much introspection do you think he is doing on stuff like that?
1: Uh, I bet a like kind of a surprising amount, honestly, like, I, you know, I think that we have a tendency to File both of the Diaz brothers as these like wild men from Stockton. Uh, And I think that as a part of that, we have a tendency to think about them as like not the brightest guys in the world. But I, I mean, I don't really think that's true. I mean, clearly they're, they're guys uh, who didn't go to graduate school or whatever, but like, I think that both Nick and Nate Diaz are kind of smart. Like I think that they uh, put a lot more, thought into their places in the world that I think we give them credit for. And I think that one of the weird things about Nick Diaz, like, and you're right to say that this is not, uh, uh, a change in point of view from him. And I think that, that moreover, maybe we just forgot or I just forgot. Oh, yeah, this is what Nick Diaz is like.
0: Yeah. Y'all Amid, must have
1: forgot. amid all of the excitement about this Anderson Silva fight, and then to be reminded, oh, yeah, no, like we're really excited about this. He doesn't like this. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think I agree with you that I think that that's when he is, he sounds the most sensible. And it always kind of surprises me that there's negative reaction to that from other people. Uh, because I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say very few dudes who are, professional MMA fighters really, really love it. Like lots of these guys are here to make that money. Um, but one of the things that surprises me about Nick Diaz is when we get him in a venue like this, I think we have a tendency to like stereotype him as a guy who does, who is, you know, doesn't have a, 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 a huge number of thoughts in a day is that the opposite of that is actually true. When you hear this guy talk, you ask him a question Uh, he'll talk as long as you want him to. The thoughts
0: just keep tripping over each other and cutting in line and you don't even know exactly how you ended up where you end up.
1: So I think both he and Nate are kind of introspective Thoughtful guys, I just think that they have a hard time explaining that to people when when we ask them questions, and I think that they are very rightly annoyed by that process. I think that it's a process that frankly would annoy anyone, and uh, even annoys somebody like George St Pierre, who who is honest about that toward the end of his career, saying that doing media was kind of painful for him because you have to answer the same questions over and over again. And you know, I think we one of the things we know about the Diaz brothers is when you put them in this uncomfortable position, uh, like they're going to rebel ab- against it a little bit in their own way
0: yeah well i mean i don't think that if you put them in the most comfortable position that you can they're probably going to still find something to rebel against i think that's kind of in their personality and one of the last things i think that uh, i want to touch on before we move on from this topic is one of the comments and danny downs and i discussed this a little bit in our trading shots thing but nick diaz's comment that you know i wouldn't recommend anybody be a fighter uh which again seemed like the, the the rational nick diaz that i can relate to i mean Especially after being up close from our vantage point with this sport, I feel the same way. I would not right. recommend any I, mean, anybody I think be we a say it we,
1: we've said it on this show like when John Jones talks about how he found out his girlfriend was pregnant, and needed to make some money, he became a professional fighter and we've always been like, no, if you're anyone else in the world, do not do
0: that. Yes. but I mean and that's something where uh, Greg Jackson talks about this a lot that like fighters have to be optimists. Optimists almost to the point of it being kind of insane, Uh, because otherwise, if you were making these kind of like cold calculations about what your odds of success were and and what the rewards are, uh, what you give up, all that kind of stuff, um, you would have to conclude that it was a bad idea, bad career move. And one of the things that I've heard from some other fighters, uh, especially the fighters who... Are done with it now and are around our age. I've heard it from both Danny Downs and from Julie Kedzie. Uh, that feeling that like you get to a certain point, like in your 30s as a as a pro fighter, and you wonder if you've been locked out of other avenues of life by virtue of doing this for so long. Like you don't have regular job stuff on your resume the way other people do. They seem to have spent like their their mid to late 20s and early 30s getting into a career that they're going to be in for the rest of their life, whereas you spend it in a career that's going to be over by that point. And they start to feel like maybe trapped um, by past decisions that it's limited future options. Uh, and I think that that seems like a, uh, like a really common thing that, that I hear from a lot of fighters. And you can see how that totally makes sense. Like, it's one of these things where you, in order to do this, you must not be thinking too far into the future. You can't afford to think too far into the future. That just, it doesn't really work for your job and what you, you have to get in there and do every day. Uh, and then you get to a point when you are kind of forced to think about it. Uh, and oh shit, I'm not gonna die when I'm 35. Now what? Uh, I mean, I think that that's a, uh, like a really compelling aspect, like of this career and of that life, uh, that maybe we don't think about quite as often.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, and I believe that, and I think that that is yet another offshoot of why it's a shame that the people in the sport don't get paid more than they do. Because, I mean, I think for obvious reasons, like a lot of people do their sport till they're thirty-five, they're set for the rest of their lives. In this sport, you do your sport till you're thirty-five. You probably don't have any any money to show for it yeah. frankly unless you're one of the few guys uh who
0: gets paid a lot of money like if you're watching i don't know if he's watching the new hard knocks on hbo uh where they follow the atlanta falcons this year and uh you got stephen jackson i think it is on there talking about how he spends his off seasons traveling the world and he's got his art gallery showing with photos he took of the terracotta army and stuff and you're like yeah there's not a whole lot of mma fighters who get to do that with their time off uh
1: Different worlds all right, let's do are you fucking kidding me and then we'll move on to round number three Ben uh, this week, my are you fucking kidding me is a pretty simple one. Joe Riggs shot himself damn. a couple weeks ago are you fucking kidding me I'm kidding me shot himself through the hand and the thigh damn are son. you fucking kidding me Joe Riggs shot himself
0: fucking kidding me see this is, isn't this what like Mark Twain was always saying was that uh you know anytime you got somebody who thinks they've got an unloaded gun in the house that's the most dangerous situation a human being could possibly be in.
1: Yeah, and like I said on Twitter, Nick Diaz resigns with the UFC, and less than 24 hours later, Joe Riggs is cleaning his gun. Coincidence?
0: <laughs> I mean, there's another way to phrase that. Nick Diaz signs uh, a new deal with the UFC at the same time that Joe Riggs is coming back to the UFC. Next day, Joe Riggs ends up shot.
1: Yeah, wow. We don't know. Maybe we don't know the real story,
0: man. I don't know. What's your are you fucking kidding
1: me for this week?
0: Well, Chad, as I'm sure you saw, uh, UFC middleweight champ Chris Weidman poked a little bit of fun at at, uh, the young dinosaur of Vitor Belfort uh, going on his Instagram and posting the side-by-side photos of Vitor 1 where he is looking – Pretty jacked and, and pretty young dinosaurish. And the other where he's, uh, looking a little more, uh, wasting away, uh, waifish man, uh, kind of, uh, both of which though he's still wearing the, basically the same t-shirt, uh, just to make the contrast even easier for all of us. Uh, so basically my, are you fucking kidding me? goes out to both of them. Are you fucking kidding me, Vitor? You're just gonna basically, dare us to compare you by still walking around in the same uh, post-TRT clothes as you were before? Uh How can we not notice the physical difference in you? And also, are you fucking kidding me, Chris Weidman? I gotta say, I think it's kind of awesome the way you treat your upcoming title opponent like you're just some dude sitting in a sports bar in Freeport looking at players in the uh, Major League Baseball game and pointing out eyebrow ridges and stuff, telling your buddies who you think is juicing. Are you fucking kidding
1: me? Are you fucking kidding me? Well, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. All right, Ben. Well, if the new style of televised UFC card is to take kind of a thin assortment of fights and put an interesting main event on top of it, I'm going to say that UFC Fight Night 47 is kind of the opposite of that, that it's a card featuring several kind of interesting fights that is topped off by something of a dud main event. And we all know, of course, the main event is Ryan Bader versus Ovis St. Prue, which we're all here to talk about. Um, that's dynamite. It's dynamite in a bottle. But if you look at the card, Gray Mayer versus Ross Pearson as the co-main, Tim Boach, the barbarian horde, my guy, guy taking Tim on Boach. Brad Tavares in like kind of an interesting middleweight fight. And then you look all the way down at the prelim card, uh, not only is is Sarah McMahon back in af- in in, axi- uh, in action, Sarah uh, McMahon on the prelims in I had Bangor, a, main I Had a tough one with that against Lauren Murphy, but then also your prelim main event, again a thing that doesn't exist, is pretty much a potential flyweight number one contender fight with Juicy A Formesia taking on Zach Makovsky. So and you got
0: to watch it in standard D on Fox Sports Two,
1: which means no one is going to watch it because it's on Fox Sports Two. I don't even think anybody gets that channel anymore. I didn't even know Fox Sports Two still existed. Um, Uh, But uh, this is kind of an interesting card, like I said, topped off with a main event that you look at and you go, huh?
0: I don't know. It's a super fight. This is a super fight. This is the one you've been talking about, right?
1: Well, you know what's interesting to me about this fight is that in terms of narrative and in terms of what you think would be the more interesting thing to happen for the UFC and the more interesting thing to happen for the light heavyweight division would be for Ovin St. Pru to win this thing, right? For OSP to to come out on top and kind of continue this surprising run that he's having in the division. Uh, and I don't think that's going to happen. I think Ryan Bader takes this thing walking away. And to me, that makes this feel like a weird matchup. Like, we built OSP up for no reason. We built him up just to, like, kind of flush him down the drain on this Saturday night card in Bangor, Maine
0: that doesn't even have Tim Sylvia on it. <laughs> that's your problem with this, isn't it? That's what this is really you're about. you're going
1: to do a show in Maine, where's the maine eAC <laughs> You know, but I don't know. I don't, first of
0: all, I don't, I don't think it's a given that Ryan Bader beats, uh, once Prue. I mean, Bader's a a slight favorite and I think that that's, that's about right. The odds I think I saw were like, you know, minus minus one fifty for Bader, which seems about right. I'd give him the edge, but I don't know that it's necessarily a easy runaway for him. Uh, so who knows on that one? To me, it just seems like when you put this as your main event, you're basically saying, Yeah, we don't really have like a main event. Like it's just the UFC coming to your town in Maine, uh, and you gotta be excited about that just because of who we are, and basically we'll give you a good solid card, but there is no real main event here. And that's like what you're essentially saying with this. Which I don't know, I don't necessarily have a huge problem with that. From from my point of view, for me,
1: it's better as far as I'm concerned. I'd rather watch you know, four or five fights that I'm interested in rather than watch uh, a bunch of filler and then have one really big fight on top of it.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I, I For agree. the people of Maine, maybe it sucks. I don't know. Well, there's nothing else to do, though. They don't. They, they, of course, they're going to go to the fights. There's There's fights in town this weekend. It's either that or sit around and watch the apples grow. Right. So the- when I imagine it, I imagine a, a
1: crowd full of fishermen. Wearing those slickers, yeah. you know, you know, big what,
0: hats. You joke, but uh, I remember uh, years ago when uh, my wife and I, we went when we were living in New York uh, and went on a vacation in Maine to some like little island that you could camp on, you know, like we rented a car, uh, took some time off work, drove up there. Uh, she's from New England, so she has really fond memories of like camping in Maine or the summer and stuff, you know, and we're camping, and I had an awesome time, and then we got up uh in the morning and realized that like we had locked the keys in the car. Uh, and the dude who I went and got to help us from the campground was basically that guy. Like he was missing the slicker, but you got the sense that like he had it hanging on a hook somewhere back in the office and like came out there and was like oh, no problem here, I have you out of here in a jiffy, uh, and, like, was the nicest, most mean dude uh throughout the entire time that he's helping us. Like, you, you put this guy on a box of fish sticks and I'm going to buy it, you know, like, so... Those people are up there and they will probably be pretty stoked to go out and, uh, go head over to the, the Cross Insurance Center in Bangor, Maine, the granddaddy of them all, uh, and, uh, watch Ryan Bader and OSP do whatever it is that they're gonna do. When you tell me this
1: story, I imagine you wearing like a lime green polo shirt tucked into yeah. your tight pink J. Crew shorts and maybe a belt, like a blue belt that has a map of Nantucket on it and boat <laughs> shoes. Am I close? I mean, because you're vacationing in Maine. It's like you were there. By the way, let me just say your impression of the sheriff on Murder,
0: She Wrote is awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, I got a little excited about this one uh, after I was talking to Ross Pearson a little bit and realized, oh, yeah, Ross Pearson and Gray Maynard on this one. That seems like that could be kind of fun. That's probably your main event, right? Don't you think that makes more sense than 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 OSP and Ryan Bader? Yeah, you can't really have two dudes coming off of losses, even if Ross Pearson's was a total screw job of a loss. You
1: say that like there's rules.
0: There's no rules <laughs> okay, at this fine. point. Well, yeah, I guess if there are rules, Sarah McMahon wouldn't go from a goddamn title fight to the prelims of the card and banger main. Come on, you can't you, you can't get on that main card. Come on.
1: Uh, well, is anything at stake here? Like, we, I, we kind of poked fun at it at the beginning of the show by saying that OSP and Beta are fighting for something considerably less than, than at all. Uh, but like, the winner comes out of this thing with, with, uh, with what on his plate exactly? Like, the light heavyweight title picture seems to be kind of full up at the moment. You got your second tier guys like Glover Tashira and Phil Davis uh, are already kind of doing their own thing. Like, is this like a TV title fight? Is the guy, Does the does Chris Jericho walk away with the uh, with the North American Cruiserweight title here? Like, what are Ryan Bader and Ovin St. Prue fighting for other than the fact that OSP can kind of, like, continue to establish himself in the division?
0: Well, I think that that's the, the big thing, at least. For for osp is that if he wins this he's like on a six fight winning streak and bader would definitely be the most significant opponent that he'd have beaten on that streak so i don't know that for him it might be the sign that oh hey we got to take that guy seriously now and start looking around uh the top 10 and the top 15 looking for uh other opponents for him to fight like you said there's you know a, a lot going on at the very top of the division right now so uh you know it's not like there's uh any real risk that anybody is is looking at a potential title fight here. For Ryan Bader, though, I think that uh, you're kind of getting into the territory, especially given his age and stuff, where, all right, are you going to do anything? Uh, Are you going to be that that guy that uh, you were ever supposed to become? Or are you just going to kind of hang around on Fox Sports 1 for for two more years and then be out. I mean, this is the kind of fight where if you can't beat the OSPs of the world at this point, if you're Ryan Bader, uh, the future starts to look grim. See, I think that everyone is underestimating Bader a little bit here. And
1: I agree with you that he is not a a guy who is going to live up to the expectations that we thought that he might reach, you know, as a guy who won the ultimate fighter, who was just a huge physical specimen with wrestling skills that you thought might, might take him pretty close to the top. But I also don't think he's terrible. Like, uh, you know, when you look at the guys that he's lost to, he got knocked out by, by Glover Tashira, uh, in a fight where he had his moments. Like it seemed like he was about to win, frankly. Uh, he lost to Lyoto Machida. He lost to, uh, Tito Ortiz in the one that, Probably puts the stain. The stink is still hanging around Bader because of that one. Uh, but then, you know, he lost to John Jones. And other than that, he's, he, you know, that he lost to John Jones in 2011. Other than those, those losses to Tashira, uh, Machida and, and Ortiz, he's beating everybody else. Like he's a dude that by all rights, I, I think should go out and take care of a, of a guy like Ovin St. Prue. I think that he's being a little bit, uh, underestimated here.
0: Well, I guess we'll find out. I guess we'll find out when, uh, the, the, the spotlight shines on the cross insurance center on, on Saturday night. Won't we?
1: Yeah. Little literally, literally tens of, of viewers will, will find out the truth about uh Ryan Bader versus Oven St. Prue. Anything else that you want to talk about here before we do uh, just saying stuff and, and get out of here for this week. Absolutely not. Yeah. That's what I thought. All right, let's do just saying stuff. Ben, what is your just saying stuff for this week?
0: Well, Chad, I'm guessing that by the time this podcast uh, is up, People will know whatever it is happened with Chael Sonnen and uh, Either Now, when does that happen? Is that tonight? Is that's, that tomorrow? It's supposed to be today. Yeah, later, later today. It's huh. a Saturday, so it should where, be today. Where is it? Does that happen here in the United States? It's or? Los Angeles, I believe. Huh. That's okay. where I think they do all their stuff. But, uh, you know, as you might have seen, uh, there was a bit of a controversy there with uh, – the Nevada State Athletic Commission kind of deciding fairly recently that it was a violation of Chael Sonnen's uh, agreement not to to fight anywhere else in, in the two years uh, during his suspension uh, following the, the failed drug tests uh, and had kind of threatened him with some pretty hefty fines if he went ahead with this thing, saying they considered it to be a, a violation of, of what he promised them when he went before the commission. I'm just saying... I'm not the guy who's going to jump up and defend Chael Sonnen blindly. I mean, God knows those guys are out there. Uh, but I have to say, when I went back, watched exactly uh, what they said to him at the hearing, looked at the Nevada State Commission's own rules about this kind of stuff and how it defines stuff like you know contests and unarmed combatants and all that stuff, I'm just saying, this one, you got to admit that the Nevada State Athletic Commission screwed up. Not that necessarily, you know, Chael Sonnen is a an aggrieved party here, but the way everything went down, I think you got to kind of let him compete uh, at this grappling event. Uh, now we raised questions before about whether he should be drug tested at that grappling event. Uh, my understanding is that the the Gracies are still doing some research on uh, on the drug testing thing, but I'm just saying, Nevada State Athletic Commission, you screwed this one up.
1: Yeah, weird, weird for them to try to do that. It seems uh, pretty patently beyond their purview, as far as I'm concerned, but. Ben, this week, I'm just saying, I don't know if you saw it or not, uh, but your guy Dan Henderson was on the Twitter machine this week soliciting, basically writing an open tweet to his fans, trying to find out who they wanted to see him fight, saying he was trying to land a fight uh, near the end of the year in either the middleweight or the light heavyweight division. Uh, I read that and I thought to myself, Hendo, shh! I'm just saying the UFC is still trying to fight some, find somebody to fight Anthony Johnson, dude. Oh, God. Just keep your mouth shut until we get that one signed and then go out there and advertise to the world that you're willing to fight whoever in whatever division, man.
0: Just lay low. Play it cool.
1: I'm just saying.
0: Just saying.
1: All right. Well, that's going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. We'll be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at the at the Cross Clark Shadow Insurance Center in Bangor, Maine. Nailed it. Uh as for right now though, we are done. We are through. We are
0: out. How is uh how's web traffic on uh, barbarianhorde.tv been it's, it's down spite, yeah? I have to I
1: have to be honest, it's been down since uh you know boach has been there's been some hard times in, the, in Barbarian Nation. Barbarian. In the